Please turn with me in your Bibles, the book of Second Timothy, chapter number four. Love to take this time and to welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time. I had to rush. I was uh, preaching at Mariesburg Family Fellowship. Uh, just finished ten minutes ago, so it is uh, a joy uh, to be back in the house of the Lord. Stand on your feet as we read together from God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth he is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may have your seats. Let us come before our God in whose presence we are all seated and we are standing even as we are about to hear his word this morning. Let us pray. Our glorious Savior, we do bow before your throne of grace this morning. Understanding of your infinite wisdom and your glories revealed to us in this word, we are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for the, for the work of the Spirit who has given us your word. It is indeed the holy word which has been long preserved. It is through this word, O oh God, you sanctify us. It is by this word you have saved us. It is through the power of this word as well that you do send us forth. But at times our eyes seems to be blinded. 
So we ask that your word would once again open our eyes that we may see. Our ears, at times, they get dull of hearing, and we do ask that by your word, you will open our ears to hear this charge, to hear the call before us, that we may together with great joy continue to pursue the cause of Christ in our lives. It is in his name we do ask, and may God's people say amen. Amen. You have heard it said in our Christian walk that you must live well. And part of living well has the idea that you need to get all you can get in this life. But of living well has the assumption as well that you must satisfy yourself more as you can. Get all the material stuff. Spend lots and lots of money. Acquire all the things you need in life. Pile all the material stuff. Everything that you can afford, increase that pile. Work a lot. Spend way too much. Then you are living well. Get into the most well-known Suburbs, maybe, in the city. Get all you can get. Keep all you can keep. Make sure you leave some for your kids. Then you've lived well. That is what the world around us teaches us. So we live our lives running that race. We live our lives fighting that fight. But when all is said and done, before the throne of God above, before whom one day we will all stand, I want to pose this question. What will be said of you? What legacy do you desire to leave? It is really a striking and a pertinent question in the face of death because we have faced death these past two years. We look at the world around us, misery is upon us. We can see, you don't have to be well educated or to be a person with high IQ to be able to understand what is happening around us. Perilous times have come, they are here. 
pestilences, diseases, wars, and rumors of wars. It's not something that we read as history. These are current affairs. But church, this morning, I would love to come to you and my desire is that as you would be taught to leave a legacy, to leave a legacy, and we are going out fighting the fight of life, waking up early in the morning, going to work, fighting the fight of life, rising up early in the morning, jumping the traffic, jumping the robots, Never lose sight of this. There is a legacy worthwhile living for. There is a legacy worthwhile dying for. And that legacy is the legacy of the gospel. That's why I'm here. We have grown up to think that the the only way we can be effective for the Lord is when we cross over the walls of the church or the walls of your house. We cross boundaries and borders. We go to China, to India. We go to, 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 to Singapore. We go to Afghanistan, Eritrea, northern part of Nigeria. That's the notion of missions we have been told we must have. But I really would love to appeal to you that the mission field is right in your house. It's right in our neighborhood. Here is the mission field and the the, the desire, even in the face of this misery, we may look at the world as though it is a misery field or we can look at it as though it still remains a missions field. So the Apostle Paul has this in mind as he is about to die. These are the words of a dying man. I desire us to really finish well, just as we are studying and we have studied well. It is easier to start well, but to finish well necessitates us to get some charging or matching orders. So then, what are the five cardinal Marching orders that should propel your heart to pass the baton of the gospel to the next generation. Look with me, number one, in this text. First marching order that is required and expected of us is to execute the divine charge. Verse number one to verse number two, the apostle Paul writes to this young Timothy and he tells him, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, what is the charge? The charge is preach the word. The apostle Paul is writing this particular epistle whilst he sits in prison. He is writing this letter to this young man, Timothy, aware of his near departure. The man Paul has been deserted by his friends at this point in time. Many have ran away from the apostle. You talk of troublesome time. This is a man who is in that context. 
He considers his life to be a drink offering. He asserts that he is about to be poured out as a drink offering, which is a metaphor that he is about to be executed. The drink offering was a last offering to be offered after the grain and the burnt offerings were offered before God in the Old Testament. Now in the face of death, the man Paul stands before Timothy and asks Timothy to execute this divine charge. Look at the words that the Apostle Paul says there. He says, I charge you. That word, I charge you, describes an emphatic declaration or an affirmation. This word, I charge you, is a word that actually reinforces a binding obligation. It carries with it a seriousness, or we can call it a solemnness to it. It carries the idea of giving a forceful order or a directive. He is exhorting this little Timothy and he is exhorting him with authority and he is exhorting him concerning this issue as a matter of extraordinary in nature. What makes this extraordinary? What makes it of superior importance? You want to know why? Look at this charge. It is a charge that is given in the presence of God. So it is not a charge as it would that is given to this little man, Timothy, in as far as Paul is concerned. It's not something that the apostle is saying in his own right, by his own obligation. Although there are many who have deserted the Apostle Paul at this juncture, and it's not the first time the Apostle Paul is saying this. The Apostle had already alluded to the fact that he had already summoned Timothy in the presence of many witnesses. But at this point in this man's life, near death, many had deserted the Apostle. I want you to sense the disparity of this charge. Go with me to chapter number one and you're going to see this. You have men who have turned away from the apostle. As the apostle is pointing out to this young man, Timothy. In verse number 15, he says, You are, all, you are aware that all who are in Asia... They turned away from me. Among whom are Phygelus and Homogenus. Then go to chapter number 4. The same chapter we are in. Verse number 16. The apostle says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. So there is this sense of rejection that the apostle is facing at this point in time. Literal rejection. Literal desertion. And the young Timothy is in danger of being a coward. The young Timothy is in danger of being timid. He is fearful and he is ashamed. Such that the apostle Paul has to remind Timothy of who he is and what he has received. 
He tells him to find into flame the gift within him in chapter number one. He reminds him in verse number seven of chapter one to say, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. In verse number eight of chapter one, he tells him, do not be ashamed of me, of the gospel. Chapter two, verse number eight, he says, remember the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And I want you to see here that there is this stone that the apostle has, same to the atone that Moses would have in the book of Deuteronomy. Close to his departure. You remember the tone of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy? Go read. Hear, O Israel. What I'm telling you, keep it. Pass it on to the next generation. That's what the apostle Paul is urging Timothy here. This gospel, Timothy, you have received. From whom has Timothy received this gospel? Go to chapter 1 and you're going to see the generational nature of this gospel. Look at verse number 5. Of chapter 1, I am, re- I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first, where? In your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice. Now I'm sure it dwells in you. He has received this truth of God's word from his grandmother and his mother they there is a legacy of the gospel passed on to young timothy this young timothy go to chapter number two what is he charged to do verse number one look at chapter number two verse one then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus what you have heard from me what must you do This is what you have heard from me. Where? In the presence of many witnesses. Mark that word. Entrust to faithful men. So Paul will be the first generation. Timothy will be the second generation. The third generation are the faithful, reliable men. Timothy has to entrust this gospel too. But they will be able to entrust to the others also. Four generations. Who are these men that Paul has in view? They are the men in the local church in Ephesus. And what the apostle has in view here, he is not having four walls of the church in view. As important as that is, I'm not disputing that. What the apostle has in view, he has the first Timothy chapter 3 in view. If you want to appoint deacons, if you want to appoint elders, they must be men who are able to manage their household. They must be men who are upholding to the sound teaching of the word. In essence, what Paul has in mind, he wants the gospel truth to go on to the next generation, the kids, the grandkids. So then... It's in the presence of God. 
Right now, this church, unlike in chapter 2, it's in the presence of many witnesses. In chapter 4, Paul says, I'm charging you, now not in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I'm charging you in the presence of God. Because many at this point in time have deserted the sound doctrine. They had fallen away. At this point in time, Demas, in love of the things of this age, deserted the apostle Paul. Many who studied well have failed to finish well. And the apostle has that in mind. He summons his young protege into the very presence of God the Father. And the glorified son of God. He summons Timothy in this solemn charge. Face to face with the Holy One of Israel. And as a word of encouragement to you and me. We do have the gospel church. The Lord Jesus, the one who died and rose again in victory over the grave, the God who is sovereignly orchestrating everything, COVID-19, the war in Ukraine, the war in Somalia, the war in the northern part of Nigeria, the persecuted church in Afghanistan, the persecuted church in Syria, and everywhere else we're seeing the church as though she is being persecuted. You may say, shall we not maybe start a political party? Shall we not maybe speak some other voice? Shall we not speak maybe in some other way? No, the task remains, we preach the word. If there is a legacy, Opa, that you are to leave, a legacy that is going to be remembered in eternity to come, is a legacy of the gospel. Execute the charge. That's number one. Number two. What is the apostle expecting of the little Timothy? Look at number two. Not only is Timothy expected to execute this charge. Number two. He must expect. Expect. He must expect deadening effects. And challenges ahead. Look at verse number three to four. Verse number 3 to 4, the apostle is clear in what he's saying in chapter 4. There are deafening or deadening effects ahead. And the apostle writes, and he says in chapter 4 of Second Timothy, as he tells Timothy from verse number 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There are deafening challenges expected ahead. The Apostle Paul here employs, as it would, a medical term. And he has done this before in the third chapter, which we are going to visit. But he diagonizes the people of the day that Timothy is going to be ministering to. And he diagonizes them with this acute ear infection. They have itching ears. 
Do you see that? That's what they have. They have what doctors would call acute otis media. A type of infection that comes and it's accompanied by swelling and readiness in the ear and behind, around the eardrum. This kind of infection, it is known that it causes fever, pain, hearing impairment, can also often occur as a result of this, because of the trapped fluid in the ear. He depicts, and he uses this metaphor to point to the level of disobedience that it will take place in the coming time. But yet it will be a level of disobedience that's so deadly and so deafening, yet the people, instead of seeking for good and a credible remedy, they will seek for remedies. That will give them a relief for today, but do not sustain them for tomorrow. The apostle is very aware of that. How would that look like? I'm glad you asked. So go to chapter number three from verse one. Let's see together. Paul tells us, understand this, then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people who, who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive they will be disobedient to their parents they will be ungrateful and unholy heartless unpeaceable slanderers without self-control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having the appearance of godliness but denying its power Verse 7, always learning, mark those words, always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. They have accumulated a lot of knowledge, a lot of insight, a lot of IQ. They are the nerds of the day, yet they have been diagnosed by or with this acute ear. Disobedient. Verse number four. I love what Eugene Peterson in his translation, or let's call it, uh, yeah, it's a translation, the message. He takes that word that people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he puts a medical term there as well. He says that they will actually be allergic to God and they'll be addicted to pleasure. You see the picture there? So no matter how good, they will hear the truth, but they will hate the truth. The things that Paul is commanding Timothy to do, to reprove, to correct, to refute, to exhort, they will hate any form of rebuke. They will hate any form of exhortation. They will not desire the truth. 
In other words, this is a malady that sits and sits on, have your best life now. If there is any view or any pointing to sin, then that is hated. Chapter number 4, 1 Timothy, listen to the extent of it. Let's go to the first book. Because this is not the first time the apostle does this. Let's go to the first book. The first letter that the apostle writes to this young man. Listen to what the apostle Paul writes and he says. Now we are told the spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will depart from the face by devoting themselves to what? To deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage. Requiring abstinence from for, for abstinence for, for from food that God created to to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. So they're devoting themselves to the doctrine of demons. They go in the courts of Sangomas, come with their powers, deceive people, and many flock to these false teachers. Paul is aware of these maladies. What kind of teachers are we talking about? Go to chapter number 6 of the same book. 1 Timothy. Look at verse number 2. The apostle writes, the last part, as we come to verse number 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, that man, he is puffed up with conceit. What kind of a man is this? He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy, you see the medical language there. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and jealousy. Imagining, look at verse number five. These men, they have constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and they are depraved of truth. What kind of people are these? They imagine that godliness is a means of gain. So they have these cravings. But those who desire, look at verse 9, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? The verse we more know, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And they have pierced themselves with many pangs. So they accumulate for themselves these kind of teachers. Who will tell them that godliness is a means for gain? They accumulate for themselves these kind of teachers who are actually going in the courts of the evil one. And... Paul is very much aware of the challenges that are coming. 
So church, if we are, or if you are asking, why must we pass on the gospel baton? The first reason why you must do that, it's because you have a charge on your soul as a believer, just like Timothy was given that charge. Two, we must expect that the deadening effects will come or expect them that they have come now. And the only remedy to remedy that is the sound teaching of the word of God. Amen? Number three, not only are we to expect the deadening effects, but we ought to exemplify the divine character. Check with me that verse. So Paul contrasts Timothy with these men. Second Timothy chapter 4. After pointing out as to the maladies that are to be expected in the days to come, after pointing out to that which God has entrusted Timothy with, then the apostle Paul desires this young man, not only that he must abide by sound orthodoxy, but rather that he must also abide by sound orthopraxy. So he says, as for you, he points Timothy as a distinct son. Contrary to these ones, as for you, unlike these ones who are doing this, who are running after these things, who are wandering off to means, as for you, Timothy, you are a distinct son. I desire you, what the apostle is saying there, he says in verse number 5, This is the only verse speaking to this young man with these imperatives. Always be sober-minded. As a disciplined athlete or sportsman, always be sober-minded. Don't allow this worldly stuff intoxicate your mind. Chapter number two, he has already taught this young man to do this. As a good athlete, Who is running? Verse number 5 of chapter 2. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He must discipline himself. He must not run aimlessly. So the apostle here calls this young man to this particular task. As a good soldier, he must be determined to endure suffering. Because suffering is going to come. Look at chapter number 3, verse number 12 of the same book. Look at it with me. Let's read. Because it's the word of God that speaks to us and God encourages us with this word. Apart from this, listen to what the apostle Paul says. Indeed, all man, woman, who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
But as a soldier, Timothy, Paul is saying, be a determined soldier. Do not lose heart. Amen? In John chapter number 6, you remember these words, even in John chapter number 16, verse 33, our Lord and our Master tells us and assures us, in this world you suffer many persecutions, many tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So the apostle charges this young man with these five imperatives. You have been called to war as a determined soldier. You've been commissioned as a, as a diligent worker and a sower. So do the work of an evangelist. Serve your commander in chief who is seated on the high. Before whose presence I'm charging you. Can you see what the apostle is doing there? He is calling Timothy his dear son, a sportsman, a soldier, a sower, but also a steward. Fulfill your ministry. Part of our gospel proclamation, church, requires of us to live our lives in the face of a crooked world. Matthew chapter number 5, verses number 6, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Let your light shine among men, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul has in view. So may I ask you this question, Dad, how are you living your life before your kids? And... How are you living your life before your nieces and your nephews? Oma, are you modeling and exemplifying this divine character among and in the midst of those, your grandchildren? Are you laboring on, sojourning on, fighting this good fight of faith as a good soldier? Are you enduring? What challenges, what bullets, if I may use that language, is the enemy striking you with that you ought to endure and to model the sufferings of Christ before whom you stand? Have you modeled Christ's likeness in your suffering? Have you modeled Christ-likeness in your determination as a sportsman who denies himself of everything that this world can offer so that he or she may compete? Are you carrying your cross daily in the sight of your grandsons, granddaughters, so that you may run this race with perseverance? My dear brother, sister, at your workplace, are you modeling this type of life that you are a determined employee? Are you the kind of a Christian maybe who is lazing off? What challenges are there in your workplace you have endured? You've determined to show that I will model Christ's likeness. No matter come rain or come sunshine, I will show forth Christ's likeness. Or is church only happening on Sunday? My young brother at school, are you doing this? You see, we ought to exemplify godliness and this divine character that the Lord has already effected within us. 
We need also to have this resolve within us, knowing that all other pursuits of this life are but mere works of men. The business of every child of God, Timothy included here, is to be disciplined before his master, to sow the seeds of the gospel, and not to uproot the tears. So exemplify then the divine character. That's number three. Number four, what the apostle Paul is urging and is showing Timothy, even as he completes and he finalizes this epistle in this section this morning, Paul urges, demonstrates for us that the gospel baton is worthwhile passing on to the next generation such that we ought to aim not only to execute the charge, not only to exemplify the divine character, not only to expect those challenges that are coming, but beloved, we must exit and depart in confidence. Look at the apostle's words in verse number 6 and verse number 7. He says, for he says in chapter number 4 of 2 Timothy, this is what he's saying. I am, this is present tense, perfect. I am already being poured out. As a drink offering. I am presently, currently, I am, I am being poured out as a drink offering. And he's very much aware and he's saying, the time of my departure is at hand. What a joy. The man who lived well, but here he stands in the face of death. He does not look at death as a tragedy. He looks at death as a triumph. He does not look at death as though he, at this point in time, he does not want to be freed from death. He considers to be freed by death. He considers to be ushered in into the other side. His focus, his aim, his purpose in life was for this particular moment. You see, go with me to First Corinthians chapter number 9. And I want you to see here that this man, this, is, this has been his life. First Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to him as he says to us. Listen. Listen to him very carefully. From verse number 19... Listen to the words of Paul as he says these words. He says, for although I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being under the law myself. Why? That I may win those under the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I, cons- I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Objective, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. 
objective that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessings. If you hear such a man, you may argue and you say, but he is such an aimless man. He's a compromising man. He's a coward. He answers you by saying, do you not know that in the race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So I run. That you, he says, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wrath, but we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He is a man full of courage as a victorious sportsman in a competition, as a faithful steward of great worth. He stands before Timothy and he tells Timothy, I am already poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is here. Exit. Depart in confidence. It's not too late to ask you as to how do you want to be remembered. As a man who ran after the world got all the achievements the world would offer. Never had time for your sons and your daughters. Is that how we want to be remembered? Do we want to be remembered as those who had the gospel and we knew that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, yet we chose not to speak the gospel so that we will not offend our little ones. Is that how we want to be remembered? When all is said and done, you and I will stand before this throne. The Apostle Paul is calling Timothy too. Everything is going there. Second Corinthians chapter number 5 verse number 10 tells me that God will judge all the works we have done in our bodies. Hebrews chapter number 9 verse 27 says it has been appointed for man to die once and after death to face judgment. Christian, if ever maybe there was 
lukewarmness creeping in. If ever maybe there was a sin that was knocking and crouching at the door and its desire is to master you. If there is maybe a sin that is taking your focus away from your glorious Lord and Master Jesus, I want to remind you, your life is but a vapor. Your glory is but the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but God's word lives forever. What shall he profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? So exit and depart in confidence. But lastly, not only are you expected to exit and depart in confidence, but look at what the Apostle Paul has for us in verse number 8, the last one. Eternal earnings are waiting for those who have walked, run, and fought this fight faithfully. He says, there awaits me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has kept for me. Not only for the Apostle Paul, what, who else has God kept this for? And for everyone, everyone who loves his appearing. I love that. Eternal earnings that awaits you in this task of taking the baton of the gospel to the next generation surpasses all earthly investments you ever thought of. All things stored up, all things kept, all things fought for, all things ran after. Everything that you may think you are running for, anything that you may think you are sacrificing for, anything that you may be laying your life on the altar for. I want you to know this in light of the eternal reward which awaits those who take this gospel message to the next generation. All things in comparison to that are but vanity of vanity, a chase after wind. And that divine crown, the apostle is confident, awaits him. It awaits for the pastors who have served faithfully. Men like Pastor Linton Leso with us this morning. It awaits those men who have served so faithfully in the lives of our church. Men such as Willie and his dear wife Limey. It awaits men and women who have served so faithfully in this local church. Even before us. To win souls and the lost to Christ. Even in the planting of Lusaka Baptist Church, Mrs. Barbara Harris. It awaits you, mom. I may not mention your name. You were involved in Sunday school. You were involved in the choir. You led that little child to Christ. You led that young man to Christ. You who have labored so faithfully in the cause of the gospel. Can I remind you, your labors before the Lord are not in vain. It may be tough. Yes, it is. But the sovereign king who is sitting on the throne knows how tough it is. He has the time. He knows. Soon and very soon, the trumpet will sound. Our eyes there, are we looking up to him? Are we fixing our eyes on him who is seated on the throne? 
in the midst of our suffering, are we confident and are we sure that the one who is sitting on the throne will never leave nor forsake us? It is him who has appointed you. It is him who has sent you to the nations. It is him who has allowed you to teach your kids. That's my focus. It is him who has allowed you to teach in that Sunday school. It is him who is sending you to your workplace. It is him who is sending you in your neighborhood. How many young people are into drugs in need of somebody to reach out to them? When are you going? When are you thinking of going? Do not delay because your reward is awaiting you. If only you would be obedient. To the unbeliever, you are marred by this malady we see in this text. The disease, this ailment, you are disobedient. You too stand before this judge. You have to settle your case now outside court before he appears. And you stand before him. He is the judge of the living and the dead. And there is only one advocate, our lawyer representative perfect knows everything live perfectly and his name is jesus trust him come to him learn from him he says come to me all you are willy and heavy laden and i'll give you rest learn from me for i am meek and of a lowly heart he is calling you and i today for this task ahead of us we cannot finish it unless we keep our eyes on him our ears to that great commission he says go ye therefore into all the world make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the father the son the holy spirit he does not finish there he says lord i am with you to the ends of the age There in your living room, he's with you. There at your workplace, he's with you. So may I ask you, pray for the salvation of your little ones. Pray for the salvation of your cousins and your nieces, your nephews, and everyone related to you. Start in your own house. Reach out with the gospel to the people whom God has given you. Maybe you wanted to go to China, but China is not happening. There is unreached people group right in front of you. Let's reach them with this gospel. Preach in season and out of season. And God will be glorified through that. Let's pray. Our glorious eternal Savior, we do bow before you this morning. We thank you for your great worth of the gospel. Such great riches passed on to us from all generations. Men laid down their lives for this. I am thankful, oh God. I am thankful. For the men and the women who have been so faithful in serving you. I am thankful and I am thankful, God, for your church. You have preserved your word through all generations. Although we may see tides and waves changing in our midst, yet your word remains the same. Your word still remains the antidote to this infection of sin. So we do ask. You will give us confidence in your gospel. Boldness to declare it first in our homes. 
Oh, but if we would not speak to them about you, help us to find the grace to speak of them before your courts, that we may also pray for their salvation. We may, for some way, shape or form, you may use whoever you will choose to save, even our loved ones. But firstly, in our city, in our homes, in our workplaces, that we may pass on this gospel truth to the next generation. So I pray for this, my dear brother. I pray, Father, for this, my dear sister, who has been so faithful in serving you. I pray as well for this brother, sister of mine, who for some reason, shape or form, had taken a diversion like Jonah. Oh, cause your sovereign word to grip our hearts. Send us to the place you have called us, that there we may declare your excellences among us the nations. Empower us by your Holy Spirit, because in and of our own self, we are not able to do anything. So give us the grace to speak your word, even in our very homes. It is in Jesus' glorious and righteous name we ask, and may God's people say amen.